Hey, my name is Chris Carpenter, and Happy New Year to the Super Bowl-bound Indianapolis Colts and to all NFL kickers, because they are people too. Now, you've got to brace yourself, guys, because you're about to go the full 10 yards. You're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast with your host, Timothy Lambert-Monk. Yes, we welcome you in to another episode of the Full 10 Yards Podcast, a wild weekend in the NFL. And of course, it was wildcard weekend and we have the best guys on hand to break it all down for us. Of course, we're joined, as always, by our co-host Lee Wakefield. We have Roger Goodgraves on a bit later on in the show as well to break down some of the more contentious calls uh, over the weekend. Obviously, it's the playoffs, so it's going to be a bit more under the spotlight. So we, we, we bring our official aficionado on to run the wall through some of those. It's a Tuesday podcast, so of course, we have the full 10 questions as well. And we have the guys from the 5-yard rush, five yard rush fantasy podcast. Lee, we welcome you in. Good weekend for both of us in terms of uh, playoff win. Yeah, welcome to Victory Tuesday, as we were calling it over text you and I. Uh, yeah, no good weekend, certainly for us both. Um, both our teams coming up smiling. Uh, yeah, mom, may that continue, I guess. Yeah, I think it was just you calling it Victory Tuesday, because every day is a victory for me. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the way I roll. Yeah. Positivity, like the energy. Absolutely, yeah. I've got lots of uh, lots of energy for today's podcast, so that might don't know if that bodes well for us or not. But yeah, four games to to run the rule over. But before we get into that, I just wanted to get into a couple of head coaches, a bit of head coaching carousel, um, a bit of news for you. So first up, uh, Matt Lafleur, the former Titans OC, is now the Packers head coach. Be interesting to see how he and Aaron Rodgers get on, Lee. Yeah, it will be. I, I don't see it as a um, sort of a marriage that springs mind like immediately as something that's going to be very good to be honest with you mm. I, I was obviously quite excited to start the season for the Titans um, but they obviously flattened to deceive quite a lot and the offense wasn't nearly as sort of expansive and fun as I thought it was going to be um, I just saw one tweet from someone um, saying I can't wait to see Aaron Rodgers reaction to throwing bubble screens every fourth play <laughs> so yeah it doesn't you know scream to me as a great hire but you know you never know mm. Yeah, interesting. Aaron Rodgers seems to be, you know, that when you kind of go on a date with a person that just tries to look for, you know, wants a exactly perfect person that's never going to happen, and he just throws his toys out of the pram a little bit. But um, yeah, <laughs> be interesting to see. Not that not that I've been on any dates for five years or so. So <laughs> let's say times might have changed since then. I don't know. But um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, moving swiftly on, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have offered the position to Bruce Arians, the former, obviously Arizona Cardinals. Uh, head coach uh, comes back out of the booth, uh, out of retirement, if you like. Uh, to and I, I have to say, I suppose from a Jameis Winston fantasy owner uh, perspective, or maybe <clears throat> your own Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, exciting. Yeah, no, it's a good hire. I think he needs to dust off the Kangol and uh, yeah, get down to Tampa Bay. I think it's going to be a good highlight, like say, for Winston for the offense. Um, they didn't do badly on offense anyway. To be honest, I think. Um, Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, was in for a couple of, in, you know, mentioned for a couple of head coaching roles himself after guiding the offense, I think, fifth overall. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it should be good. Um, they should get up together and then it's just about sorting out the other side of the ball now, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, they've got, they've got the, the names there on defense. Um, just be interesting. Also, I'm quite interested to see what happens in that backfield because Bruce Arians usually likes a workhorse and uh, none of those running backs can particularly catch out of the backfield. So, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. 
Yeah, and as a Rojo uh, dynasty owner, hopefully Bruce can uh, can get something out of him because he was a bit of a non-entity in my first season with him. Yeah, yeah. Certainly one of the busts uh, of the year. And also, uh, thank you to everyone who voted in our uh, full 10 yards awards. We will give those out a bit later on in the show to all the all the votes that we put out there to, to give them the awards. And we'll, we'll tweet the players and see if they respond. Maybe not, but maybe maybe just get the one. Uh, that will be the, 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 yeah, the hi- highlight of the podcasting career for me. But um, talking of Arizona, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Lee, is uh, uh, just before we came on the air, apparently he's been given the Arizona Cardinals head coaching position. Yeah, expected to take over very shortly. So I imagine they're just in the, the sort of final throws of the contract sort of negotiations, I guess. But yeah, comes in um, from USC, where he's never coached a game. He was hired after his firing from Texas Tech in November. And uh, yeah, it could get a bit legal, I think, because there's an anti-tampering rule between the NCAA and the NFL. And the, the rule is that you have to... Get in contact with the athletic director of the university, and they did that. I mean, USC's director was saying that they rejected all advances for Kingsbury, um, and they've obviously gone ahead and he's going to be hired. So obviously that, that could get legal. He might expire. Might be contract at USC, mm. um, which I don't have the details in front of me, but I'd imagine it's it's pretty well paid. Mm. Uh, go down there and uh, yeah so that's that's that and yeah he's obviously the Texas Tech coach that um, had Patrick Mahomes as well and he's had great success with them and their air raid offense um, obviously the college game and the NFL game on offense are looking pretty similar nowadays so you can kind of get these guys from high powered college offenses and it translates pretty well so I'm going to be quite interested to see where he how he does because he was mentioned in for quite a lot of jobs as well I know he was quite, quite close to been offered the Jets job as well. Mm. So interesting to see that. I think that's quite a good hire as well, actually. I'm quite excited by that. Yeah, especially David Johnson, fancy owners, who maybe were a bit underwhelmed by him and Steve Wilkes's uh, efforts last year. One guy that is not going to be moving seems to be Josh McDaniels, who will remain in New England for another year. Uh, obviously, inv- interviewed for the Green Bay Packers coaching position, uh, but they feel obviously Matt Floor took that. Uh, McDaniel said the book is closed. Uh, it's always a humbling experience to have the op- an opportunity to interview with anybody for the position, and I was thankful for the opportunity to meet with Green Bay. It always gives you greater insight into another organisation and how they do things. It's been a very educational for me every time I've gone through it, and I've appreciated every single one of them. That was great, but now I'm completely focused on the Chargers and our season and finishing it strong, and I'll be here moving forward. So what do you make of that? Is he, is he just on like a, like a undercover scouting mission for the Patriots? <laughs> Spygate. Sort of how everyone, it's going to be the, the new Spygate, maybe. Because yeah. um, he, he, he seems to like always be in the running and you know, just never gets there, never gets off of the job or pulls out of it at the last minute. Um, and I after what happened last year with Indianapolis, obviously like leaving at the, mil- at the altar, it, it kind of surprises me that he's getting these offers to yeah. us with it. Um, as, especially seeing as though he's already been a head coach and didn't do that well as well. So kind of surprised. Um, obviously, he was mentioned to be sort of the heir to the throne almost in New England. And that's probably the way it'll go. Um, you know, he'll, he'll probably end up having these interviews, scouting out everyone. And then when Bill Belichick retires in a year or two, uh, he'll probably just, you know, ascend to being the head coach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to say we're getting to the Colts very shortly. They were the first game up on Wild Card weekends. But yeah, let's get in, let's get into the four games. Uh, it was a bit of a defensive weekend, if you like. Yeah, you know, highest scoring team was Dallas. 
uh, weekend where the best defences actually look like kind of went out. So Chicago and Baltimore, two of the highest uh, performing defences over the year, leaving the uh, the playoffs. Mitch Trubisky was the most uh, was a QB with the most passing yards, which is uh, something that doesn't happen very often. Following on from Dak Prescott last week in Week 17, and no quarterback had more than two touchdowns as well. So um, Dallas, obviously the highest scoring team there with 24. You'd have got a good price on that before the weekend started. But let's talk about uh, who the Colts, who Josh McDaniels left at the altar last season. They've obviously now made the playoffs and they're into the divisional round after a 21 to seven win over the Texans. Yeah, fine, aren't they? Um, it was a blowout, really, wasn't it? it sort of um, the first drive of the whole game. You know, they went down, and Eric Ebron, um, you know, went in and scored, and obviously easy money on those bets that you mentioned in the punting section with Adam last week. And that just set the tone for the rest of the game, I think. And they just dominated. Um, Houston didn't really show up. And like I say, it was pretty much over by halftime. Um, T.Y. Hilton, again, just owned the Texans in the back, backyard. Um, I saw, and everyone probably saw who watched this game, that stat that popped up quite quite amazing, really, that he's the, what was it, he's the most, he's got the most average yards in any stadium of no opponent in the whole league. Mm. Uh, he averages over 100 and 13 yards, I think it was, if I remember right. Should have wrote this down, really, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he, he obviously dominates Texans um, and just likes playing against them, I think. Look played really well. Uh, obviously, Marlon Mack played really well, almost 150 yards on a score, averaging just over six yards a tote. So yeah, pretty good uh, day all round. And like I said, the Texans didn't really turn up. No. No, so yeah, 21, 21 zip up in the middle of the second quarter, I think it was, wasn't it? And then this one kind of was was all she wrote. Um, Andrew Luck picking apart, apart that Texans D. Um, but the key, the key to me, which might go unnoticed, was um, the, the Colts' attempt to, to establish the run. That second drive that they had, uh, 52 of the 74 yards was, was all rushing. Um, which kind of helped them stay establish the run and, and, and keep that defense honest because this was one of the best rush defenses going into the league and it was the first time, uh, Marla, yeah, first time they allowed a hundred plus yard rusher uh, to, to Marlon Mack. Mm. I think 100, 148 yards uh, or, or something. I think and 148 yards was the most by a Colts running back in play in Colts playoff history as well. So a uh, good game on the ground for Mack. Maybe not many saw that that coming, uh, but this was the sixth time in the season that you know no no sack for Andrew Luck um, who. Obviously, with the best going into the playoffs, best uh, um, sacks given up with 18 after being the worst uh, the year before. So, just shows you that, that that clean sweep of sorting out the offensive line there in the draft has, has, has you know come to fruition, and they, they are where they are. Yeah, it's played different, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, be an interesting matchup next week. Obviously, we don't go into too much into the next games because obviously that'll be what we'll cover on Friday. But definitely be an interesting matchup with you know in the divisional round between the Chiefs and the Colts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On the Houston side, obviously, none of their stars really were able to turn up. Uh, Newt Hopkins was quiet, and says you know all that that defensive line, that pass rush didn't get to, to Andrew Luck at all, and they couldn't stop the run. So, wasn't that great? But another reason, uh, Houston with twenty three percent on third downs, uh, two of six in the first half, and I think the Colts were seven of seven. So that just shows you who came to play in the first in the first half. Uh, Houston over two on fourth down, and that that fourth and one play to DeAndre Hopkins that was a terrible throw uh, there from the Indianapolis nine yard line. That's that's I don't know why you're not playing a, a quarterback draw on that one really, considering you've got Sean Watson there who's actually healthy and not you know suffering from collapsed lungs or broken feet and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean Deshaun Watson was one of few QBs this court this 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 week that had their first playoff game. Uh, he was a, he was quite erratic, disappointing. Twenty nine or forty nine. 235 yards, one touchdown and one interception. But yeah, the, the Texans, I think, you know, 
their luck kind of run out, didn't it? Yeah, and just going back to what you said about Indianapolis establishing the run, Texans didn't do that. Um, you know, no. Lamar Miller got about 26 yards. Deshaun yeah. Watson had a decent rushing game. Um, but yeah, it didn't, didn't establish the run in sort of a conventional sense. Mm. And uh, yeah, maybe they should have run um, quarterback draw. I can tell you a Dallas fan watching Dak calling quarterback draws on fourth and one. <laughs> or, third and <laughs> four, or third and 14s, but we'll, uh, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we digress. We'll, the next game, which will come on to shortly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just to say, as you mentioned, Colts now travel to the Chiefs and reminiscent of the 2014 wildcard game in 24, uh, sorry, the wildcard game in 2014, 45 to 44, where Indianapolis 31 to 10 down. So, uh, Andrew Luck, I think that might have been his last um no, it wasn't his last pair of points, but obviously that was before his injury, wasn't it? He had four, over 400 passing yards there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Should, be, should, be, should be another shootout, but say we will get back to that one on fr- uh, Friday's podcast. But question I've, I've got for you for this one, Lee, is with, with the Texans and Bill O'Brien, obviously the amount of stars on that team uh, should be, he should have a better than a, a 42 and 38 uh, re- career record as, as a head coach um, and you know, the one and three in the postseason. I just wonder if they should maybe move on from Bill O'Brien. Mm, potentially, I mean, they, they do, like you say, they do have uh, you know a good roster, but there's one area that's severely lacking, and everyone knows that's the offensive line. Um, they just don't have an adequate line to get anywhere further than this. So you know, on that score, could you say that he's maximising what he's got because that's such a crucial part of today's game, mm. and well, any game, any game in any era really, but even more so this this sort of era, I think with how mobile the quarterbacks are and how athletic everyone is. Mm. And, yeah, he's had six years. Yeah, he's not got very far. His you know, overall record isn't great. Um, but I think he's doing an okay job. I think, you know, to then tear it all up and start all over again, I don't know, if it, would you get a better result? I'm not sure. It's, it's up in the air. I'm not, I'm not sure which way I lean on this. I'd, I'd be airing towards just keeping it how it is. Yeah. But they, you know, he's not got long left. I think if they have a poor start to the season next year and it looks like they're not going to make the playoffs, then, yeah, this, this next season could be his last. Mm. Yeah. But they need to draft well. They need to draft well and get into some offensive linemen. Otherwise, it's just going to be the same all over again. Yeah, yeah, you're hitting nail on the head there. I think they should maybe f- uh, copy the, the Colts' blueprint there and just uh, fix that offensive line because they don't really need anything else, do they? So. No. no, no, no. They've got a really complete roster. They've got pass rush. They've got a good secondary now. Um, you know, linebacker, front seven in general is really good. Mm. Uh, offense, you know, all the skill positions looking great with Hopkins, Kikuti, who got over 100 yards, looking good. Um, Miller, I think you can probably move on from at running back. You know, but then there's there's going to be someone out there who you can either draft in the mid round, like you can do with running backs every year, mm. or you could maybe have a little go at having uh, Le'Veon Bell. Mm. And then obviously you've got Watson, who will be a great quarterback, I think, um, once he trusts his protection. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Oh. Say again. I just said yeah, he's all set up. Sort of, yeah, you yeah. Just need, just need that one one part. Sorry. Yeah, certainly agree. I certainly agree. Okay, moving on to the Saturday night game at Seattle at Dallas. Dallas handicap backers, uh, from a Panthers perspective, not happy on this one, losing by just the two. But yeah, strange old game this one. Obviously, you had that Alan Hearns injury early on, which seemed to suck the life out of the game a little bit. Um, mm. And obviously Yanikowski as well with a with a funny little injury there, kicking just before half time. But yeah, for me for me this one it was all about Ryan Schottenheimer and Pete Carroll um, seemingly refusing to let to let Russell Wilson kind of take the game by the scruff of the neck when it was kind of there for them. Um, it just seemed to be a case of run, run, then third and long for Russell Wilson. 
because um, when they when they started giving the ball to Russell Wilson to, to throw around a lot, he was he was carving us up a little bit with uh, with Lockett and um, you know he, he was making plays and, and, and running and, and all sorts. So it was a bit it was a bit strange. Both run games were, were contained, but it, it kind of played out how I thought it would in terms of you know we'd both try and run the ball, but Zeke would show why he's he's miles ahead of. Of, of Chris Carson, you know, th- that 40 yard run just before the half setting them up for the touchdown uh, was a big turning point in the game. But yeah, the best the best rush offense coming into uh, into the playoffs in, in Seattle, uh, they were stymied. Carson and, and the running backs just limited to 73 yards on 23 carries. But the key to this one for me, obviously, yeah, Dak Prescott made some plays when he had to uh, going into the game. I said, you know, Russell Wilson will make plays because he can. It's just about whether Dak, Dak can do that as well. And, you know, the Gallup touchdown just before half time. He, he he had that that same throw a couple of times and he was way off uh, previously. So it's interesting that they keep going back to that play. Um, I think they they called that same play three or four times. And like I said, that was that was set up by uh, the forty yard run by Zeke just before half time to go to go ten six up. Um, and then Dak third, third and fourteen, um, you know, quarterback draw, getting him to 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 the first down and essentially uh, setting up that touchdown to to kill the game off despite uh, Seattle's attempts. Um, there, but yeah, some, it was a strange game. I don't know. I don't know how you felt about it. Yeah, it was. I mean, just first of all, if you are right, I think uh, from both offensive standpoints, I thought it was a really poorly called game. Mm-hmm. I thought Seattle were painful to watch. Uh, you know, like you say, they ran the ball, ran the ball some more, and then things like the third and eight, they would run it. <laughs> it's like, come on, like just throw the ball. You've got one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You know, in a playoff game, like I was saying, I was expecting him to come up with some magic because they put his put the ball in his hands. Mm. Or yeah, they just ran it and ran it and ran it, and it, it just made for an absolutely painful watch. Like I said, the Cowboys weren't that entertaining either. I might add, yeah. um, but it was like, like I say, it's what they expected. Um, it was running defense. That's what, that's what it was. Yeah. And yeah, you, your guys just came up with it at the end. Mm. Um, the <laughs> when I was watching this, the 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 sort of most Sort of entertaining thing that I took from it was that the the rookie punter uh, Michael Dixon for the Seahawks is really good. He is, yeah. He's, yeah. he's also not he's, he's well deserved. Some of those punts are just insane. Um, but yeah, you can tell it was bad because I was, I was most excited about the punter. Um, but yeah, you, you know you got the job done and that's all that matters in the playoffs. Really, it's January football. Mm. I saw a lot of um, comments on social media. Uh, probably from neutral fans of, of loads of teams like throughout the whole weekend saying it's boring, blah, blah, blah. But this is January football, you know. We, this isn't playing to... This is playing not to lose sometimes in, at, at times during games and not to let things get away from you. Because mm. you, you use one shot and if you don't make it, then you're out, obviously. So this is what you're going to get. And, and people tighten up. And I think that's what it was a little bit. Like I say, I think it was quite conservative play calling from quite a few of these teams over the weekend. And, mm. and these two especially... Yeah, n- nothing more conservative than uh, Jason Garrett deciding to, to try and kick a 58-yard field goal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely, absolutely uh, ridiculous. Might have made it back into his corner if, uh, if we were winning that feature today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but as I say, but the defence bailed us out on that, holding him to Seattle to to a field goal, but also giving us some time left on to, to, to score that Gallup touchdown um, as well. So, yeah, it all worked out in the end, but yeah, we've got away one there, Jason Garrett. Um yeah, I also, I also thought obviously I texted you about this um, the other day, but I also thought Chidobi Wuzier got away with a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And there was a there was a holding penalty as well that I thought they they got away with uh, just before the touchdown. Oh, but that's by the by, you know the refs weren't good in any of the games. Mm-hmm. So 
What can you expect? Yeah. Now, we will talk to Roger a bit later on about some refereeing decisions that they did get right. But yeah, there's quite a lot of holding, holding calls on both sides that they missed as well that I noticed uh, on, on some big plays. But yeah, yeah, Ouzier uh, did get away with a couple of PIs there. I think that was maybe, uh, we can chalk that one down to a bit of home field advantage. Yeah, maybe, maybe, and that you know that's that is part of old the advantage at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Just ask New England Patriots fans. Um, moving on, so obviously Dallas are playing again. Sat- what? Moving swiftly on. Yeah, moving swiftly on. Sweep that one on the carpet. Um, Dallas travel to LA next week, and what I McVay versus Gary is what only I can describe as Brock Lesnar versus Mary Berry in the octagon. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very very weird thought, but yeah. I mean, it, well, from a coaching perspective, that's that's, that's the matchup. But um, yeah, yeah. Dallas, yeah, Dallas actually match up pretty well in terms of what they do well and what they can stop against the Rams. So we shall see what we think on Friday about that one. So let's move on to the Sunday games then. Los Angeles Chargers, Lee, take it away. Yeah, so this again was another defensive battle. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. I, I love, I love this game. Shock, but uh, yeah, no, I thought it was a really interesting game. Um, it was just two defenses just going at it, and I think. It was it was quite a chess match as well because you could see that the Chargers sort of learned their lesson and sussed out Lamar Jackson. I thought from a couple of weeks ago, so we fought speed with speed, playing with six or seven DBs for the majority of the snaps that we played on on defense, um, playing three linebackers, sorry three safeties as linebackers, and like I say, just having that mobility because Lamar Jackson's fast, so you don't want a you know a 250-60 pound linebacker lumbering after him you want a, a quick safety mm-hmm. and with players like Derwin James Adrian Phillips the Chargers have got and they're in that unique position to have like talented and smart players who can fill these gaps and they're intelligent enough and, and quick enough to take good angles and make tackles and they are sure in the tackle as well mm-hmm. and that's how we, that's how they came away with the victory here. don't mm-hmm. think there's many teams that can do that so you know I think I made the comment on social media afterwards that the Chargers have found the formula to, to sort of stop the Ravens. But whilst we did sort of have the antidote, can other teams carry out what we did? Because I don't think they've got the personnel on a lot of teams to do that. Yeah. So I think, you know, we talked last week about how the Ravens are going to expand uh, next year and probably going to not look exactly the same. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they'll be pretty similar. And um, Teams might try and copy what, what the Chargers did and to a certain extent what the Browns did in the second half the week before, mm. um, which I think did sort of help the way that we approach things on the defensive line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think people will try and copy that, but I'm not sure they will. So the Ravens might still have you know a fair bit of success, and while Lamar's still sussing it out. But yeah, it was it was all about film study. The, the Chargers studied the Ravens to a degree that we even knew Ronnie Stanley, the left tackle, his, his pass sets to tell us or his how he set on the line to see whether it was a run set or a pass set. You know, if he, he was really obvious about it. If he was square, then it was a run. If his left foot was back, it was a pass. And there's no better than you know feeling on defense and knowing what's coming, whether it's a run or a pass. And it it, it meant that you can't really be got if you know if you get it wrong. Mm-hmm. On the other side of things, the Ravens turned up with the same game plan, uh, thinking that they could just come out and do the same, and it showed. And you know you've got a rookie quarterback under the bright lights, and that showed as well. I think those two things married together. Um, just meant that I thought that Anthony and Gus Bradley just coached the arse off Harbour and the Ravens staff and that's how he won to be fair yeah, yeah, it certainly had all the aspects of a, of a chess match you could say Philip Rivers was maybe the king and Lamar Jackson was maybe the rook 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, so yeah, from my, my perspective, obviously, the the, the, uh, the LA LA Chargers defense kind of put the, uh, the the Ravens offense into a checkmate with uh, three fumbles. And I think was it the first eight snaps of Lamar Jackson. Um, so that, that that put them in a, in a bit of a hole. But I was just wondering if you if you were worried that all all the uh, Chargers could do was was kick field goals though. Um, I, I, to be fair, I wasn't. I, and obviously, you know, social media reaction after the game, the Chargers and the Chargers, blah, blah, blah. No, we didn't. Because the Ravens were never going to win that game. Yeah, we were just taking over with field goals, but the Ravens couldn't move the ball on us at all. Yeah. You know, half-time and they had minus two passing yards mm. for the whole the whole half. Yeah. You know, they ran a little bit and they got a bit there, here and there, but they couldn't move the ball on the Chargers' defense. Mm. You know, if you sat down with a novice watching this game who'd never watched football and you said one of these defenses is best in the league, you know, not that the Ravens were playing badly on defense, no. but that person probably would have said that the Chargers were the best defense in the league mm. because they were, they just weren't moving the ball. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't great. You know, you were thinking you know, we just need a touchdown just to pull away, but was never never really that worried. And then you know, he gets in the second half and they made the mistake, admittedly, of getting too soft too soon. And that's when the Ravens started moving the ball. That's just because we wanted them to chew the clock. Mm. I mean, they got two touchdowns through it, yeah. but. That was the only time they ever moved the ball, even when it came down to the last minute when the Ravens had the ball back. They had to go 60 yards in about a minute. I never thought they would do it because the defensive line was just having their way with the Ravens' offensive line the whole game. Yeah. I, I always had the feeling it was going to end up in, you know, the way it did with like a fumble sack, uh, strip sack, a combination, whatever, or Lamar hauling up and one of our backs picking it up. It was always going to end like that. I, I never really... My heart rate never really got too high, I would say. And that's hand on heart. That's not me sort of post-truth, uh, I can say, with a win or hindsight stuff. That's my genuine, that's how I was on Sunday. Yeah, I know. I, I agree. Um, I, I did What I did enjoy, actually, I saw some people were starting to call uh, your, your kicker Badgley the money badger. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the that's t-shirt. Brilli- that's so, brilliant. That's been a thing for a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's great. I like that. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say and to, to all those fans uh, in the stadium that were booing Lamar Jackson twenty-three down in the fourth quarter. I mean, what what are you what are you expecting from Joe Flacco? Um, you know, this is this is the same Lamar Jackson who's six and one got you into the playoffs. Uh, let's not forget Joe Flacco was what four and five and was benched and and injured. I mean, Joe, Joe Flacco coming in, he probably would have died um because say the, the offensive line was just getting mauled by by melvin ingram and co and you know joe 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 flacco the statue there i don't was he gonna play musical statues and just stand still and yeah he, he's not what's he gonna do um there's a there's a lot of reasons why i, I have issue i had issues with uh, the the baltimore ravens fans but you know if let's let's say hypothetically you, you take lamar jackson out of the game or, or john harbaugh and he answered one of the uh, tracy wolfson's uh, questions about about this subject, and he said he wasn't going to answer it. But yeah, you mentioned take Joe Flacco out, uh, to put Joe Flacco in. What that does to Lamar Jackson? What what does that say to Lamar Jackson? It says to him that you know you've got no faith in him. You, you, you know, John John Harbaugh has got to work with it. If he wants to come back to Baltimore, he's got to work with this QB for the next couple of years. And, you, and you're telling me that you you, sh- you should be taking him out and and putting Joe Flacco in there, where you know apart from the four games where Joe Flacco went on to win a Super Bowl, he's been absolute trash. Um, you know. 
and it was the right decision to keep Lamar Jackson in. And you know, they, they those fans must have been foolish when it was, it was a bit closer. And they they what was it 20, 2014 or something something silly. They you know they had the ball fifty yards f- from the end zone and, and you know had the chance to kind of win the game. Obviously, it ended how it did, which was was quite predictable. But you know. I think the detrimental effect it would it would have been it would have had to Lamar Jackson had he come out that that could have scarred him for life and that, those last five minutes of the game or, or whatever it was when he mounted that comeback that's going to serve him well in in the years to come when he does get to the postseason because he you know he knows what adversity tastes like and he knows what to do to come back from it and you know he'll improve improve for the run to to take a horse in uh, horse race uh, phase um, but also you know. It's a bit unlucky for the Ravens to get the Chargers, you know, twelve and four. They essentially a division winners, um, you know, record, and a bit unlucky there to to get that kind of caliber caliber of opponent in the in the wild card round. But I just thought shame on shame on the Ravens fans. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It, for me, it was about gratitude. So obviously, you've got like you say a quarterback is injured, you've got injured and pulled, or a combination, um, with about a five hundred record. You put your rookie in. He goes six and one, gets you to the postseason pretty much, you know, with him on the center and the game plan that they installed. You know, and then as soon as the going gets tough, you're going to pull him out. You can't do that. Mm. You can't do that. You know, that's that would say would destroy his confidence. And then, like I say, you've got the the politics of it down the line because Lamar's going to be the quarterback next year. Mm. Joe Flacco is not even going to be there. Gonna, yeah, exactly. I was just about to say Flacco is going to be wearing a different jersey. So you're going to go back to Flacco, who, by the way, wouldn't have come back from 20 points anyway. No. Um, and then you're going to put Lamar in next year, and then you expect to have his respect moving forward. Nah, that doesn't work. Yeah. That's not how it works. Yeah. And I say, yeah. and another thing as well, it's unlucky that they, obviously they played a couple of weeks ago, had tape, and let's not forget, like, so Lamar Jackson carved them up week, weeks ago with, with um, you know, what, what, what they did to the Chargers. So I think it's just more on the coaches not, not changing the game plan a bit slightly and just doing maybe, if they're showing the same looks, just run slightly different plays out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it, 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 they were severely outcoached yeah. by the Chargers coaches mm. um, and executed the great game plan that we, we set up. Yeah. Absolutely, and I do fancy the, the Chargers next week in Foxborough, but that again is for Friday. Just before we move on to the final game of the weekend, Leah, do you want to give you a little stat that's raised raised both of my eyebrows, um, the Rock Dwayne, Dwayne the Rock Johnson style. But uh, so Zeke Elliott had uh, had that forty yard run uh, in the Dallas Seahawks game. He reached a top speed of twenty one miles per hour. Right, that nine yard run by Philip Rivers. How fast do you think he got? Oh, I, I did see this. Is it like sixteen miles per hour? Yeah, sixteen and a half. That's scary, yeah. isn't it? Because he, he 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 runs like a snail. Yeah, no. He always reminds me of like a baby giraffe when he runs. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no. He's uh, he definitely got it moving. And then the the little little celebration at the end with the you know telling which way it was going. Yeah, oh, that was brilliant. That bit of celebration okay. of the weekend. That. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad it's been gift as well forever. Yeah. Yeah, very good highlight. Um, another highlight, unfortunately, was the Cody Parkey miss as time, well, five seconds left on the clock there. It Soldier Field, Philadelphia, and uh, travelled to Chicago. And Lee, there's only three things certainly in life, death, taxes, and Nick Foles winning in the playoffs. Yeah, weird one, eh? Really weird. Yeah, I was pretty shocked with this. Obviously, when we were talking about this game last week, I was like, yeah, this is going to be an easy win for the Bears, and you know, it's pretty uh, the easiest one to call out of the, the whole lot. It didn't go how I expected it at all, actually. Um, I didn't account for Nick Foles coming through 
uh, again in the playoffs. Um, hopefully that one comes to the end. That just can't be a thing. I, I can't stand all this trade counts and when to talk. It's just silly. Um, and Cody Park hit the hit the post again for the 94th time this year or something like that. And <laughs> um, you know, I, I got the feeling while I was watching it that while Trubisky and Foles both played okay, they played all right. Uh, but like a couple of teams, I just feel like super conservative play calling from both offenses. Like just made this game a bit rubbish to be honest. There's so many check down screens, shovel passes, lot short stuff over the middle. You know, and I'm not, I'm not expecting someone to come out in a playoff game and just throw bombs all the time, but, you know, it wasn't very expansive. And I didn't expect that from teams led by Doug Pedersen and Matt Nagy. I expect this to be a bit more sort of open. I expect it to be a bit more trick plays, like I was saying. You know, both these coaches have um, come from sort of the same tree, and you're kind of expecting a, a you know a trick play up the sleeve or, you know, to break the deadlock a little bit, because mm-hmm. it was a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, broke, it was in, in deadlock a little bit. Uh, but yeah, just rounded out another weekend of kind of defensive uh, games and performances and low scorers, really, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, Nick Foles was was poor by all accounts, just putting rabbits out of his hat on, on third and fourth down, the third and nine to Alshon Jeffrey to get to the two, which set up the uh, the fourth and goal there to, to Golden Tate. But the, def- the Chicago defence did well uh, on those first three uh, to, to, to stifle the run. But yeah, I mean, yeah, Foles was awful. Uh, Eagles relying on the, on the D there and the offensive line uh, to, to to you know help help the team out and get it done. But if you're if you're the Bears defense, this is this is what happens when you're a defensive team and you're relying on defense to win your games. You know because you've limited the Eagles there to 16 points, and usually at home you're expecting to score. I don't care who what team you are, uh, you, you're expecting to score more than 16 points on offense. So um, yeah, not 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 the great of greatest of jobs there by. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, Matt Nagy, and all the rest of them. Well, Mitch Trubisky did did okay. Uh, Alan Robinson had a good, had a good game. Um, that that throw to to set up the field goal attempt uh, to Alan Robinson was uh, was was quite was quite nice. Yeah, Robinson played well. Um, yeah, like I say, I just expect him to be a bit more tricky and you know a bit more quirky, um, like we've seen as in you know the weeks that have gone by throughout the whole season. Yeah. They just went into the shell a little bit. And um, yeah, he didn't obviously pay off for them very much. And like you say, you have you are exactly right. You would expect if your D can give you a 16, 17 point target, you'll be able to hit. Mm-hmm. I'd say. Yeah, and I say Chicago. If you look at the stats and the box scores and you know all the, the stuff with the game, and you didn't see the score, you'd you'd expected Chicago have won the game. You know, Matt Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky had the most passing yards. Um, I think of the weekend, did he? I can't remember. I, I saw a stat somewhere. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know, defense holding to, to sixteen. You'd, you'd expect that Chicago probably won quite handily, but uh, yeah, say so Nick Foles just pulling pulling some magic tricks there when he when he needed to really, because apart from that, he didn't have the greatest of games. The run game. Were both stifled on on both sides of the ball. Um, but I actually didn't appreciate how closely Matt, Matt Nagy and, and Doug Pedersen had had worked uh, over the last couple of years. Obviously, they're both together at Kansas City when Pedersen was offensive coordinator and Nagy was the quarterbacks coach. Um, and then you know Philadelphia, Matt Nagy took over from uh, Doug Pedersen as the as the quarterbacks coach, didn't he? When uh, Matt Nagy was the uh, was it the offensive control controller or something? Something to do that, anyway. But yeah, so they obviously knew each other, knew each other very well. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Uh, and of course, the uh, one of the big talking points, which we'll talk to Roger in very shortly indeed, was the uh, catch fumble by Anthony Miller was uh, left in, scratching at people's heads. But Philadelphia move on to New Orleans. Uh, played obviously a bit earlier on in the season. The New Orleans Saints absolutely annihilated them. Uh, be interesting to see. Hopefully, history can p- repeat itself. <laughs> 
Yeah, you were you were going to say that, wasn't you? I guess that kind of ruined your um, perfect weekend, didn't it? The bears couldn't come up with it at the end. It, yes, it did. Cost me a lot of money. Cost uh, cost a lot of people. I, I suppose the um, the playoff predictioners as well. Only one person out of uh, shout out to Jason Seeley who introduced the podcast last week. Funnily enough. Uh, he is the only person out of 30 that uh, has all four correct predictions going into week two. Uh, I did put a leaderboard up a bit early on in the day. Um, but yeah, yeah, quite a lot of people were expecting an easy Chicago Bears win there. I know, now you know why I said that should, should, should with a bit of hope last week. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, just before we wrap up and move over to, to Roger to talk about some of those those plays, Cody Parkey uh, miss. He actually, I, I forgot he actually played for the uh, the Eagles, so it was a bit of a revenge game uh, for Cody Parkey. But he actually set the rookie record in point scoring uh, with, with Philadelphia a couple of years ago. And I know there was a lot for all when when Robbie Gould was cut. Uh, Robbie Gould was one was one of the best uh, kickers this season. Ninety six, I think it was a ninety six percent, ninety six and a half percent success rate on field goals uh, over in, since he, since he's left. Um, since he left Chicago so yeah maybe re- re- regretting that a little bit mm, yeah, yeah potentially yeah it's weird isn't it the kicker carousel you, you know you kind of forget who people play especially when you're a Chargers fan <laughs> yeah absolutely right okay that was all of the games kind of reviewed there so let's go and uh, chat with our official aficionado to see what he made of all the calls over in the wildcard weekend <laughs> Yes, indeed. It's the playoffs, so no doubt all the referees are under the spotlight. And a couple of decisions, obviously, over the weekend that uh, we've brought in Roger Goodgroves, our official aficionado, to run the rule over and explain uh, yeah, what, what kind of went on. Because some of them were, were quite baffling, Roger. They were indeed. Kept everybody awake, didn't they? Absolutely. And so every playoff game, the uh, the referee and, and the officiating uh, obviously under the spotlight um, to, to high levels with, with high stakes on the line. Well, I think what we have is, with the playoffs, is that you have one game with everybody's attention, um, where normally you're going to have the eyeballs spread across uh, however many games are going on at, at any one time, eight or ten or whatever. So uh, inevitably, you're going to get a little more focus because everybody's watching, mm. everybody's asking the questions. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so three that we, we've kind of come up with to have a chat about. So we're, we're kind of going game order, if you like. So yeah. first up, uh, Kiki Kuti, Houston Texans against the Indianapolis Colts. First game up. Uh, quite a lot of contention uh, or yeah, debate around whether he, he crossed the goal line without uh, losing control of the football. Yeah. So uh, let's break it down in terms of the, 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 what happened, just for those that may not have seen it. Um, so receiver takes a, a short pass out from the QB near to the end zone, runs for the end zone, reaches out for the end zone. Um, so going back to rule summary, the ball is dead as soon as the ball in player control, if he's a runner, crosses the first bit of the white and doesn't have to cross the whole of the line. Literally, if the nose of the ball touches into the white or vertically above the white area, because ironically, we call it a touchdown, but it doesn't actually have to touch it down, mm. which if you ever want to confuse an American, ask them why they call it a touchdown in their American football. <laughs> um, it'll have them head scratching because, of course, they start to think about, well, why do we call it a touchdown? Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> vertically above the line, just to confuse them. And um, he was reaching for the line and... The question was, he was ruled in on the field, and this is the key. Um, he was ruled on the field to have breached that goal line in control of the ball, therefore a touchdown. The ball comes loose. So the question mark is, when does that ball come loose? 
Well, it's obvious that when he is in the end zone, in the green part, that the ball is loose. So you then have to step back and say, when did he lose control of that ball? And it's very, very close. Um, it does look like as he dies to the line, the back end of the ball starts to come down before it hits the goal line. But it is one of those, this isn't clear and obvious. And if you remember, I said the crux of the play was what was ruled on the field. Yeah. So unless you can actually say clear and obvious, there was something that was different when you watch the video, the call on the field stands. So here we have call on the field of a touchdown. So we have to have clear and obvious video evidence that he did not have control of the ball when he actually breached that goal line. And it's very close. It looks like the ball's coming out. And you could argue and people have that that ball is coming loose because the back end starts to dip. Therefore, he isn't in control. But it's not clear and obvious. It is a probability that that might be happening. But you can't say clear and obvious. Therefore, ruling on the field stands as a touchdown. Yeah, I think the important thing there, Roger, as you were breaking it down, is is the two words that come to mind there that you, that you said is looks like. Now, you know, as subjective as a, as a topic that you know the catch roll and diving for the end zone, those these types <laughs> of plays can be. It's actually quite black and white in terms of the ruling of it. And you know, is there conclusive enough evidence? Gives you a black a black and white line, if you like. Yes. You know, which, and which last helps. year, I think replay got too technical, and if there was a minor look like it wasn't. They started to rule the 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 ball was loose or it wasn't in control or whatever. And um, during the regular season, that was way too technical. Mm. They changed how they looked at it during the actual playoffs, which made a big difference to some of the rulings that were critical to the the final games. But they were right, in my opinion, that they were getting too technical, and they reeled it back into the clear and obvious. Yeah. Yeah, and so let's uh, let's move on then to another one in the Chargers Ravens game. <laughs> well, I remember we were talking a little while back about Lamar Jackson trying to reach for the end zone, uh, which yep. ended up in a fumble. With similar circumstances here. With well, Nick. actually, if we go if we go back to the the Cootie one, um, the consequence of if this was not a touchdown was that the ball was coming loose before he got to the line. Mm. Therefore, in replay. If that was ruled that he had lost control of the ball, then the next question is, what happens to the ball? And <laughs> this question keeps coming up this weekend, and we'll come back to that when we look at play three. Mm. So what happened to the ball is it went out the end zone. Mm. Any ball that's put out of the end zone by the offense, mm. it results in a touchback, so the, the defense take over at their own 20-yard line. So a big swing in play mm. between a touchdown and potentially the other team getting the ball at their own 20. Yeah. So it was critical that that touchdown was upheld. Otherwise, mm. they would have lost the ball. Now, there were three scores down, so it, it probably wasn't going to make <laughs> any difference to the game. But you know, if we're looking at this from a should it be question rather than anything else. Yeah, and the, the funny, that, that touchback rule is, is hated by quite a lot of people. I don't, I don't know if you've got any particular thoughts on it. Yes, um, I, I can understand where people are coming from because it is such a swing. You know, you, your team was so close and then all of a sudden they've not got the ball. And not only that, the other team have got it 20 yards away. Mm. Should it go back to the point at which he fumbled? Should it go back to still being the offensive ball but 10 yards further back, etc.? A couple of critical parts are that the field of play is ruled differently than the end zones. Yeah. The end zones are sacrosanct. 
it's you know defend your end zone the ball goes into the end zone there is a consequence to that if you put the ball into the end zone there is a consequence to that you'll either lose it or you'll score a touchdown if you fall on it hmm. so don't fumble it's <laughs> <laughs> basically the answer to that one yeah, when reaching for the ball make sure you still keep the ball safely hmm. yeah absolutely and I say but all of all of these uh, are ball security issue type incidents i suppose so, yeah very much actually yes yeah. um melvin gordon uh, charges uh, another another one where uh, the, the play uh, was was ruled dead at the point because it was ruled a touchdown yeah, ruled a touchdown on the field. So what we have is Melvin Gordon diving up the middle, very close to the goal line. Um, initially, it looked like he was diving for that goal line. And the question mark is, did the ball come out before he got to the goal line? So similar to the Cote play, the question is, he is a runner. And at that point, has he crossed the white and therefore scored? The play at which case is over. Or has he, A, lost control of the ball prior to getting to that line, and then what happens to that ball? Or B, is he down when he hits the ground? So let's just take those various scenarios. So the first thing, is he down if he hits the ground? If he is not touched by somebody, then no, he isn't. In the NFL, you're not down by contact unless you've actually been touched. So one of the questions on the replay was, was he actually... Did anybody else get a, a hand on him before he got to the, the the goal line? The answer was yes, he was. So yeah. that's the first part. So we know that if he then goes to the ground with the ball in his control prior to the goal line, then that's down by contact at that spot. That's the first one. Second one is, in order to do that, he needs to have control of the ball. Now, there is a question mark about whether he did. And I would say if this was last year's replay rules, Potentially, there's a moment in time where that ball isn't in his hands mm. as he's going to the ground. Mm. So it's a loose ball. In order to recover a loose ball, you need the same things you'd need to recover a pass that's in the air. You need to have control, two feet or another body part, and then time, um, which is often interpreted as a football move or another step, etc. And so if he lost that ball, then went to the ground... Because it was a loose ball at that stage and he hadn't secured it again, then that was a fumble. Then what happens to it? Well, mm. if we take the what happens to it, well, that ball goes into the end zone. He's picked up by a Ravens and run the length of the field for a touchdown. Yeah. It wasn't for two reasons. One, because the guy that was ruling whether it was a touchdown or not on the line had determined that it was a touchdown. Yeah. And therefore, they whistled it dead because the result of the play was a touchdown. Yeah. Ball is over, cross the line. But the, in this instance, because he was touched and because he then was determined that whilst he still had control, his elbow hit the ground and the ball at that time was short of the goal line, the ruling of the field was overturned and it was actually ruled that it was short and they replayed the next down from that position. Hmm. If replay had overturned it and said, well, actually, no, he either A, wasn't touched and the ground caused the fumble with in an allowable way, or B, because it was a loose ball already because he didn't have control, then it went into the end zone and Ravens recovered it. Could the Ravens keep that touchdown because mm. they run it all the way back? Yeah. The answer is no. In either of those two scenarios, because the play was then ruled dead, and this will, again we'll come back to in play three as why this becomes very important, <laughs> is the, the offense, which then became the defense because the Ravens had the ball, stop playing because they hear the whistle. Therefore, you can't say, well, the Ravens got it into the end zone. Well, they might not have done if the other team had 
uh, carried on playing. So you can't then go forward. So what would have happened is that the Ravens would have got the ball. The spot at which they got the ball was in their own end zone, mm. but they didn't put the ball there. The offense put it in there. Mm. Therefore, it's a touchback. Yeah. They'd take the ball at the 20. Yeah. As it was, it was ruled that he was touched. Therefore, down by contact, short of the goal line, next play, off we go. Mm. Yeah, fabulous stuff. Um, so let's uh, let's unpack the third one then. Anthony Miller. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This one, this this one had uh, everyone flicking through the rule book to try and find uh, specific paragraphs that maybe had been collecting dust for God knows how long. But um, yes. yeah, Anthony Anthony Miller um, ruled an incomplete pass. Um, obviously, on replays, it showed that he had a couple of feet down and made a football move, but it was actually ripped out the, ripped out by the Eagles defender. Uh, yeah. And then the referee decided to... Well, I didn't decide to. <laughs> Maybe been a bit harsh there, but... Um, well, no, he did decide. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true, He yeah. decided that it was not a complete pass. That was his ruling on the field. So he waved his hands, the ball came loose, nobody picked it up. We'll come back to why that's important. Mm. So let's just take that through. The first one is, this is a consequence of the change to the catch rule. If you'd have looked at that play last year or any play for the last 10 years, then you'd have actually said that would have been ruled incomplete and would have been incomplete yeah. because the player was tackled going to the ground. And the rule, if you're tackled going to the ground, and, and still potentially is, is that you have to survive the ground. So what happened was he had control of the ball. He took a number of steps. He went down. The, receiver, the defender pulled the ball out of his hands. He didn't survive that going to the ground. However, we changed the rule this year, and we made it simplified. And one of the simplifications is that if the player gets control, two feet, and then makes a football move. Now, one of those football moves could be a third step. And in this example, he clearly takes a third step and maybe a fourth mm. before that ball is stripped away from him. Therefore, what we actually have is a catch and a fumble. So then you say, well, OK, well, what happens next? Well, who had the ball next? And the answer is nobody did. Because the referee had ruled an incomplete pass and also the, um, the, the uh, Eagles all around were all uh, signaling that they wanted it to be an incomplete pass. They thought it was an incomplete pass. Nobody picked up the ball. So we then delve into the rule book. So we need to break down the various different aspects of this. So firstly, we go to replay. It was inside the two minutes and replay are the only people that can, can decide with inside two minutes. A team can't call it. So it goes to the replay booth. So the first thing they're going to establish is, is it a catch? So yes, he took the, the third step in the new rule book. Therefore, we say, yeah, it's a catch. So then what happens? Well, the defender ripped it away. That means it's a fumble. So we have a catch and a fumble. However, when it was announced on the field, it wasn't announced as that. Mm. It was a very poor announcement uh, <laughs> by the, the referee that basically said, uh, the call on the field is sort of um, upheld. No, it's not. And it's going to go be and, and it's going to be the next play back <laughs> with um, the Bears, back at the previous line of scrimmage, but the next down. Well, then you start saying, well, OK, why, why is that? And the answer is because nobody recovered the ball. Mm. So we then say, well, okay, you know, the referee blew the whistle. Therefore, you know, he said it was over. So there is a provision in the rule book called an inadvertent whistle rule, which is to try and take account of the accidental times when a referee may blow it dead. Now, that may not be blowing it dead because he said it was incomplete, but accidentally blowing his whistle. Sometimes, you know, in a skirmish that goes on off the ball, he's thinking, oh, I've got to try and break up this skirmish. And one of the 
things you hear all the time is whistles blowing a lot if there's a big skirmish mm -hmm. and they're basically trying to sort of break up the thing and sometimes they can blow before they should do so that's where inadvertent whistle rules come in to take account of the times when the play is blown dead when it shouldn't have been so inadvertent whistle rules in normal inadvertent whistle rules a variety of things can happen depending on what made the ball loose or or, or what it was and so this one was a fumble. So in an inadvertent whistle rule, normally what would happen is you'd either give the offense the result of the play, so the catch, yep. or you can let them play it again and replay the down. So do a do-over. Mm. However, and this is where the complication comes, which is why everybody was looking, scratching their heads, going, well, why did we go back to the previous play and not only not give them a do-over, but we made them then play the next down? And that's all to do with the replay rules. This is, there is a rule book, um, the normal rules that are in there. There is also replay casebook. And this one doesn't get seen by very many people except for the NFL officials and a few select other people. And this is what they called approved rulings. And they actually say, in these circumstances, this is how those rules should be interpreted. And replay has its own casebook of are you allowed to re replay something? Are you allowed to actually adjudicate differently? And under what circumstances? Who can decide to challenge a play? And there is in the replay rule book. Now, if we go back in a little bit of history, previously when replay was involved, the question of whether a uh, an incomplete pass was actually a catch was not replayable. Mm. It was not allowed. Back in, I think it was about 2013, they changed the um, replay um, allowances to say, yes, you could rule because it was a black and white issue. And they always like to have replay saying rule not on judgment, but on actual facts. So did the ball breach the line? Had the clock expired? Those sort of questions are things that can be replayed because they're black and white. They're not a case of whether I thought that person held or did that defender um, have a pass interference. Those are not replayable. Yeah. So in the replay uh, rules, um, there is provision for, is an incomplete pass reviewable? Yes, it is. Is an incomplete pass turned into a fumble reviewable? Yes, it is. However, only under two circumstances. One, there is a clear recovery. Mm -hmm. And two, the ball had gone out of bounds. Yep. Now, the reason for that, and, and you might say, well, why? Why should it only be in those circumstances? Well, if you think about it, um, you could say, well, nobody recovered the ball. In normal circumstances where nobody recovered the ball, it goes back to the, op the, the offense who had the ball last. But would it be fair to let the uh, anti-Miller, who had, in effect, fumbled a bad thing, he'd fumbled, let get the ball back after that bad thing? Mm. He was surrounded by Eagles defenders. Who's likely to recover that ball if it hadn't have been ruled dead? Mm. Well, Probably actually the opposition. Mm. That's what normally happens if you get a fumble. Um, so in replay, they decided the competition committee decided, which is the the great and the good of football, not the the officials. These are owners, managers, um, coaches, and a few select other people. Um, they decided that yes, we can review that particular aspect of the play, but only these circumstances will be allowable to actually be changed. And the one that where it's a fumble is it has to be a clear recovery. Mm. And if you remember, uh, we spoke uh, a week or two ago where there was the uh, Dallas, uh, I think it was Dallas, thought they'd got the ball in the Eagles game um, in the regular season. Mm. And uh, it looked clear to everybody else that um, they were going to come up with the ball. But 
looking at it on replay, there was no clear time where you could see that Dallas player pick up the ball. I think it was Dallas. It might have been the Eagles. I can't remember which way around it was now. And that was an example of the replay rules come into play. If you haven't got that clear recovery, you can't overturn it. Yeah, that was the uh, Dallas were the ones that fumbled it, and uh, it was the Eagles. Yeah, and the Dallas opening, and the Eagles recovered it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. to all the purposes, an Eagle came up with that ball out of the pile, but it wasn't clear that he had the ball while he was down on the ground. Therefore, you can't go to replay. And that's the same principle that's being applied here, yeah. that if there's no clear recovery, you cannot overturn that call. Therefore, we go back to the result of the play. Yeah. The result of the play was an incomplete pass. Therefore, we move to the next down. Yeah with um, the Bears having the ball. Mm. So a very complicated one, but has the underpinning. So everybody's shouting the referees because they got it wrong. Mm. Well, mm, they didn't get it wrong because they exactly yeah, did yeah. the right thing according to the rule book. People may not like it, but they did. Mm. People also have argued that, well, that referee who decided it was incomplete shouldn't have ruled it incomplete because if he hadn't, an eagle might have picked up the ball. That's also true. But if you actually then say, well, don't let them blow the whistle and decide that it's incomplete, you would then say, well, every pass potentially could be overturned by replay. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to then have a game that's 12 hours long because every play needs to be reviewed to decide whether it really was or it wasn't. And that's never going to be practical. No. So you have to make a determination on the field. Most of the time will be correct. And as we talked about in a previous episode, 96% of the calls they make on the field are, are actually ruled as being correct when they're analysed on video later. Yeah. So most of the time, they ruled it correctly, it was incomplete. Mm. And as we said, that play would have been last year incomplete. It's a very close play. Unfortunately, it wasn't in this case. And you know, if he'd have ruled it a different way, then uh, somebody else might have got the ball. Eagles might have covered it and returned it. Who, who knows what mm. might have happened. Yeah, obviously, they obviously got to the right decision on how it was called. It might not have ended up to be where it should have been. Obviously, it should have been a fumble and what have you. But because they've they've called it as they have, they then followed the right rules to, to yeah, get to the right decision. Exactly. So, yeah. It may not be what we like. And no. you could argue that should you go back to the, the bear having the ball? Because the yeah. last known actual accurate situation was a catch. Yeah. So do you go back to the catch? Well, no, not really, because that's also unfair for the recovering team or the what potentially recovering team. Yeah, it's funny as well because I think they've they've recently tweaked a rule, didn't they? Ones with the end zone is, with <laughs> this safeties. Week, in fact, yes, yes, yes. Um, so, so it, in fact, it's, it's actually covering a situation that hasn't yet happened, which is unusual in itself because normally you can play out so many different scenarios, but unless they actually happen in real life, you're making the rule book too complicated. Yeah, but. This particular example was for if a team is close to its own end zone and they're going out from their own end zone. And the question mark is, if a replay comes and rules that instead of um, it being an incomplete pass, it was a fumble, but the fumble ended in the team's own end zone and there was no clear recovery. So here, going back to the no clear recovery, here's the exception to the rule. No clear recovery of the ball it's still a safety. Yeah. Now, if you think about it, the ball went into the end zone. The offense put the ball in, the, in their own end zone. One of two things could happen if the play played out. One, they recover it in their own end zone or are stopped, in which case it'd be a safety anyway. Yep. Or two, the defense recover it and they would score a touchdown. Mm -hmm. So we know that the worst, best case scenario for the offense is they'd have, they'd have conceded a safety. Yeah. So sensible says, although there's no clear recovery, the minimum this could be is a safety. And that's what the uh, new uh, proved ruling in the replay rulebook is for, for this week. Hmm. 
Yep, absolutely. And so it's just quite interesting that they changed it for that aspect and then that obviously <laughs> Anthony Miller. Yeah, ironic, it. really. Yeah, yeah. Considering that play had never happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, as I say, usually it's a reactive type thing where you put a rule in to, to stop something recurring, don't you? So, yeah, yes. it was very strange. But Roger, thank you so much for breaking all that down. Fascinating stuff. No uh, hopefully maybe next week we'll have some different parts of the rule book uh, to look into. <laughs> yes, hopefully. Cheers, Tim. There's all the refereeing knowledge from Roger, but now it's the time to test your knowledge in the 14 questions. It's Tuesday, so it's time to test everyone's NFL knowledge, and today's contestants are Adam and Chris from Five Yard Rush Fantasy Football Podcast. After covering myself in a lot of glory last week with Lee's tough questions, I thought it'd be best to get some guests back on uh, to, to pit their knowledge to the test. Adam and Chris, welcome you in to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having us. It's a, it's a real pleasure. We... Uh... Kept you waiting a little bit, so uh, apologies. Uh, we were talking to mutual friend Rich King, so thanks very much for uh, holding and being patient and, and having us on. We're looking forward to failing miserably at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be it's going to be a full ten yards podcast first, where we have alternating uh, answers from from the two of you. But before we get into that, just maybe you want to talk about your your podcast. Obviously, we can find you at Five Yard Rush on Twitter. Uh, loads of followers on there. Like I say, a mutual friend of the show, Richard King. Uh, he's been on the show a couple of times, and no doubt he'll be on in the future. But yeah, do you want to talk about what? what you do and why they should people should listen to your podcast so we're five yard rush we are you know a, a fantasy podcast normally uh, with the season done we're going to get into some other stuff in the off season but we're available on pretty much every podcast streaming apart from soundcloud and we just give fantasy advice and general nfl news and stuff like that and it's it's witty banter beer drinking fun with some pretty decent fantasy advice yeah, we've got some really good guests that we've had on, um, some experts in the game, plenty more to to come on as well. So um, keep in tune. Please find us, listen to our previous guests because the information they give isn't just weekly relevant. It's uh, going to be relevant moving forward. And yeah, we've got some really good guests coming on as well just to give you all the information you need for your 2019 and beyond uh, fantasy seasons. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Almost as if that was rehearsed. <laughs> right okay let's get down to business then so um adam you're going to get the even numbers chris you are going to get the odds there's 10 questions and say after covering myself in glory with a total score of three i'm sure you two should be fine um no time limit but say if you're taking a bit too long we shall usher you along does that sound good yeah of yes. course perfect stuff okay let's start question one nice and easy which team plays at lincoln financial field is that for me that's that for is, me, right? Yeah. One, yeah, is, one, gonna, one is an odd number last time I checked. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> that is the Eagles. Lovely stuff. Uh, question two, uh, uh, Adam. Which player was the MVP in Super Bowl 50 between Carolina and Denver? Ooh. Peyton Manning? We'll do those. We'll, we'll do the... Sorry, I meant to aunt, uh, say that we'll do the, all the answers at the end as well. So just to keep you in suspense. Question three, Chris. Uh, which player was drafted by the New York Jets in the first round of the 2018 draft? Sam Donald. Question four, Adam. Who is who is the coach of the Carolina Panthers? Uh, Riverboat Ron Rivera. Yep. Uh, Chris, what number does Julio Jones wear? Eleven. Adam, which former player had the nickname The Fridge? 
Oh, oh God, I know it as well. <laughs> oh, I don't. Do you know what? When someone just asks you that, and it's just you know it, I'm going to embarrass myself now by not. Oh, uh oh, Bears legends. Oh, uh, I can't remember. It, Perry, first name. Oh, William Perry. Chris, how many penalty yards does a neutral zone infraction incur? Five. Adam, who had the most receiving touchdowns in 2017? I know it as well. <laughs> Devontae Adams? Uh, Chris, from what line are the opening kickoffs taken from? What, what yard line? 35. Okay, and then round us off at question 10. Adam, how many yards from scrimmage did Kareem Hunt have last year within 100? Oh, that's tough. Is it, wait, so wait, just to clarify, when you're say, you're talking about the 2018 season or the 2017 season? Oh, sorry, uh, 2017, yeah. Okay, 1,300. Okay, not a bad effort, fellas. Let me just go through. So, yes, so Philadelphia Eagles, of course, play at Lincoln Financial Field. It was Von Miller who was the uh, MVP for the Super Bowl. Uh, Sam Darnold is the first-round uh, quarterback drafted by the Jets. Uh, Caroline Panthers is, of course, Riverboat Run. Julio Jones is number 11. William Perry did well there to get the fridge. That, that must be the most frustrating NFL trivia question going. That one. It is because it, you know it, yeah. and then someone asks you, and you're just like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just remember the fridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, neutral zone infraction is, of course, five yards. It was DeAndre Hopkins who had the most receiving touchdowns uh, in 2017. And then the final two uh, opening kickoffs. Oh, are... sorry, was that 2017? I answered that for 2018. <laughs> said 11, and uh, Adam said 13. Uh, the only reason I did that is we did our award show. And I was debating between the two, and I was debating Rich King this morning, which is why I knew that. So I answered uh, on 2018 numbers, you know but oh well. I'll, I'll go back and I'll just make sure I put 2017, because if I didn't, uh, I, I thought I did, but I'll go back and check. If not, I'll give you the point. So. Um, okay. Kickoffs are 35-yard line, and scrimmage yards for Kareem Hunt in 2017 was 1782. So no no bueno, no bueno on that one. But uh, yeah, so you got, you've got a seven, maybe an eight, if, you're, if, I've, if I've not done my job pro- uh, properly. Yeah, I think because uh, there was a couple of times I think you said last season, and then I kind of clarified the second time, but don't think I clarified the, the first time. Yeah, so I'll go back and check, but uh, yeah, so very worst you've got a seven, which is not a bad, not bad for you as well, because they're quite difficult questions. Some of those. Nice. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's stretching my memory a little bit, so uh, appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, good job, Fez. So all the best with your podcast, and say um, I hope anyone out there that's listening isn't aware of the full uh, five, the full five yards. Bloody hell. Uh, the Five Yard at Rush podcast. Go and check that out. Say good uh, good guests on there and say Richard King. If it's good enough for Richard King, it's good enough for me. So there we go. Fellas, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Take care. Get a there from Chris and Adam from the Five Yard Rush Fantasy Football Podcast. Seven, maybe an eight out of there. I'll confirm that bit later on. On social media at Full 10 Yards. Again, if you want to introduce the show, check our pin tweet where we give you the opportunity to introduce the show. And congratulations to, to Chris who they're introducing our show for today. He was the winner of the December competition. Kudos to him. That, funny enough, actually, he's, he's wishing good luck to the, to the Colts. Uh, he actually recorded that like nearly a month ago. So, uh, yeah, he obviously knew something that we didn't. But uh, talking of the Super Bowl, Lee, it's time to obviously see how that st- shook things up a little bit in terms of the betting. New Orleans, uh, Kansas City and the Rams and the Patriots obviously with the top four in the betting. 
purely because they didn't have a game a game to to play. New Orleans still at the top. Uh, no no real changes there in the top four. Any uh, any more confident in your charges? Um, well, to be fair, uh, actually quietly confident about next week, to be fair. I yeah. think we match up quite well against the Patriots, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, I don't see their receivers troubling our defensive backs that much. They're quite pedestrian. Don't really, as we sort of said on the full 10 awards, I don't really class Gronk as that much of a threat anymore. It's obviously famous last words, probably. And like you were just talking about Flacco a second ago, you know, Brady's pocket mobility isn't the greatest, although he's quite a shifty and can wriggle away. Um, so yeah, and I think um, I don't think their defense is anything to shout shout about. Obviously, it's home field advantage. We've got a cross country again. Uh, but yeah, quite like I say, quietly confident. I'm not going to shout from the rooftops. I'm not going to start trash talking anyone. But yeah, quietly confident. Uh, we'll get the job done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I think I think they're going to Foxborough and. Uh, uh, it's quite interesting, actually. I, I, look, I went in and looked through today. All the um, it's, only, it's only the second time since I think in the last ten years or so that uh, the Patriots have been less than a touchdown favourite uh, in, in in the divisional rounds. But if you look if you look at the QBs that he's played, you know, people like Matt Sharp, Tim Tebow, uh, and all the rest of it, you can understand why you know they get to the championship game so often. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Very strange, but yeah, I think Philip Rivers will go in there. I think he'll uh, he'll thrive under the pressure under Foxborough Lights, and uh, yeah, should be able to get the job done there. I'm I'm, I'm quietly confident as well. Um, at the bigger prices, you know, you still Indy at 16, still Dallas at 22s, and, and Philadelphia at 22s as well. Do you uh, fancy Dallas's chances? Um, I, you know what, I, I, they're quite a difficult match for people because obviously they want to slow the game down, they want to run the ball, and they've got one of the best running backs to do it. So yeah, I mean he's Quietly confident, maybe, and yeah, I mean it's quite open. I think in the the NFC, mm. um, I don't think the Rams are sort of in, infallible. They were earlier on in the season either. No, no. The only, only thing that worries me is Sean McVay obviously getting two weeks to to prepare for for whoever. Well, I don't suppose they knew they were, Dallas would kind of come to them, but still, you can still put your foundations on your offense and what you want to kind of scheme. But yeah, Dallas match up quite well. You know, they're, they're good at stopping the run, and Todd Gurley of, and the Rams they need to, Todd Gurley to get going to establish the run to then allow Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods to get downfield and open it up. So it'd be interesting to see how much the uh, Dallas Cowboys can contain uh, Sean McVay and the, and the Rams offense there. Um, yeah, I, I think similar similar thoughts actually to the Eagles. I mean, as much as I hate the Eagles, and literally will be, oh, I don't know what emotions I would feel if the Eagles did it all again. But um, yeah, I mean, I can certainly see the Philadelphia Eagles um, you know, grinding that that offense, the Saints' offense, to a halt as well. Really, I, I, I can't. To be honest with you, I'm, I'm totally the other way. Ooh. Uh, I think the Saints will take care of business then uh, again. Just talking about your emotions, just take, taking you back a few steps. Um, what would you feel like between you know Dallas, Philadelphia, NFC Championship? Oh, bring it on! Bring it. I said to some of my, some of my friends, if you want, if you want to get a job done, get it done yourself. So give it, give us, give us the the Eagles in a championship yeah. game. I, I'd love it. We would stomp all over them. Absolutely stomp all over them. Yeah, right. but, I actually think just just to round it out, just going back to sort of the dark horses that we just talked about. I think. India are actually a decent bet to take over business next week, you know. Mm. I don't have to go too much into that, but I think they match up quite well with the Chiefs. Mm. And then, you know, I think then, looking even further forward to the AFC Championship game, I think they actually match up quite well against the Patriots and the Jarmers as well. Mm. So, yeah, they they could be a, a dark horse all the way through, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that, that kind of also oh, one, one tip I actually wanted to give out if you're if you're thinking of having a bet on on 
you know maybe uh, name the finalists or, or that that kind of stuff obviously bet responsibly um you know don't bet more than you can afford and all that but so yeah if, you, if you're betting never bet on name the finalists market always bet on the afc and nfc uh winners as a double because it's, it's essentially the same thing but you're getting the price of, of a double whereas the name the finalists they they chop the price a little bit and you don't quite get the odd, your the odds you should i think i was looking at the dallas and or new orleans and the Chargers. i think if you did name the finalists i think it's about 12 to 1 but if you did uh, the Chargers for the AFC and the Saints for the NFC. I think it comes out to like 17, 18 to 1. So you're getting a far better price. Um, so that's my tip to everyone out there. Uh, obviously, worked in the industry for years. So those little things are useful to know. So I thought I'd share a bit of knowledge there. Yeah, no, good tip. Especially, you know, especially if you put a few quid on, it's just a multiplier, isn't it? Yeah. You know, about three or four quid, mm. uh, you know, on the right in front of you. But then if you put in, you know, a few more quid on it, and like that, it's multiplier, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and talking of knowledge, we ask for your knowledge and your help for the full 10 Yards Podcast Awards. Obviously, we put a couple of awards out there as we couldn't decide. Uh, so just want to go through some of those and officially crown uh, the winners of those polls. So we had uh, Stonker of the Year was between George Kittle and Andrew Luck and the Colts. And after all the votes that came in, they still couldn't be split. It was 50-50. So we're going to share that award. That's going to go down in the record books as a share. Um, so yeah, thank you to everyone that's... Uh, voted for that uh, the stinker we put Leonard Fournette up against and the Jags up against the Packers and Leonard Fournette won by 69% to 31 so Leonard Fournette is the uh, stinker of the year and of course we put up the coach of the year as well um, we did put it up initially um, but we ha essentially had the wrong options there so we put it back up and Frank Reich uh, was by far the clear winner on that one I don't know if that had the uh, weekend games uh, had played a part in that, but 61% there to Reich, 34 to, to Nagy, and 5% Carroll. So maybe part of me feels that uh, some of them maybe looked at last weekend's games as well. Uh, Jason Garrett Award, uh, worst coach of the year, uh, landslide, Hugh Jackson. Uh, not really any surprises there, to be honest. 80% of the votes there going to, to Hugh Jackson. So congratulations to him. We all know, we all knew it was going to go to him, didn't we? So. <laughs> and then finally, uh, doing um, close one, close one to end it. Fantasy bust of the year was between Leonard Fournette and Rob Gronkowski. Uh, after two hundred and seventy votes, which is uh, not bad actually, to be to be fair, uh, fifty one percent of the vote went to Rob Gronkowski. So a very close call there. Um, but yes, we shall let him know of his achievements. Saving saving Fournette from a dirty double there yeah. with uh, the year and fantasy bust of yeah. the year. Yeah, dirty double, love it. Um, yeah, that was the full 10 yards. I say we will do that again next season. Uh, look forward to that. So I need to put those down. I need to put that somewhere um, and tweet all those people out and congratulate them or commiserate them on their achievements. But I suppose that's it from, from us, Lee. Um, yeah, are we, are we going to chat about the Super Bowl predictions slightly? Oh, Please, yes. Please. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's always good when you, when you draft something to, to talk about and then don't talk about it, isn't it? <laughs> and then just completely forget. Yeah. So obviously, yeah, we we talked about the bet in there, uh, and obviously, we're, I'm a, you're a Chargers fan. Uh, I'm slightly a Chargers fan due to monetary uh, involvement, um, and a Dallas fan uh, through and through. But um, yeah, it's just get to get your opinion on who who you think will will be in the Super Bowl. But maybe probably be better first on on who you want in the Super Bowl. So for the, for the Chargers, if if, it was, if we actually ended up getting there, um, I would actually want to play either Dallas or the Rams. I would say. Um, Dallas, because I think it'd be a pretty similar game to what we've played in Baltimore. The Chargers, are, sorry, the Cowboys, excuse me, are probably a little bit of a better version. Well, they are a better version of that kind of formula. Um, you know, Dak's quite mobile, but they've got um, you know a really good offensive line, which we didn't come up against. And obviously, a better running, running game as well. 
But I do think that Gus Bradley and Anthony Lynn would out-coach the Cowboys coaches again. I think we'd find a way to win that. Mm. Although it would be a good win, uh, sorry, a good game, um, much closer than the game that we had last year that the Chargers won 28-6. Mm. Uh, and the, the, the reason why I say all the Rams is because of kind of the reasons that I touched on a moment ago. Um, they were on the, they were downward trend, and I think um, they're not as that, not as viewed as that powerful force that they were. Um, and I feel like you can attack their defense now. But, you know, earlier on in the season, I think they were seen as this um, all-star defense that you just can't even you know score on. But they're definitely not now. And obviously, we played them earlier in the year as well, so we'll have some sort of idea of uh, you know them fairly you know as fairly new material. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I say from from my perspective as a Dallas fan, you know, team from the AFC, I'd, I'd probably like. I mean, we we lost two Indianapolis uh, and later goose egg, so uh, I'm not quite sure I'd be too confident going up against them uh, again. I'm not really quite sure. I, I'd probably rather have the Patriots uh, just because they're probably the weakest team of the four left. I'd have thought. Um, you know, you've got some big powered offenses there, Kansas and, and the in the Chargers and the Colts. I'm not sure how well we'd maybe match up against against those. Um, so I'd probably take I'd probably take the Patriots, but in terms of who I think will get there, I think I think it'll be a Chargers, Chargers Saints Super Bowl. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I don't think we win that game, but I hope so. It'd be good nice to see my team in a Super Bowl. Be a replay. Um, be a replay I, of the international series game. Yeah, yeah, from from ten ten years ago, yeah. eleven years. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the Saints will be there. Um, I actually think that it'll be the Chiefs. I think I think they'll have a good game against the Colts. Uh, I, I don't fancy our chances if we if we did get into the championship game to go to Arrowhead again and and then win again, mm. uh, especially after doing it in the last second. But I wouldn't put it past us, to be honest. Um, yeah, my prediction would be the Saints versus the Chiefs, which I think would be fair. I think it'd be a match between the best two teams in the league and the best two QBs. Yeah. I think the Saints would win yeah. uh, in quite a high-scoring game because I think and back then to get a couple more stops on defense because they've got a better defense. Just as simple as that, really. Mm. The other interesting thing, if it is a Saints Chiefs uh, Super Bowl, another interesting spin would be that obviously the MP- MVP award would be the night before. So could you imagine Patrick Mahomes getting the MVP award and then Drew Brees lighting him up in the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's a motivation for one of them, wouldn't it? Mm. At least there's quite a lot of uh, MVP uh, quarterbacks that that have lost in the Super Bowl. Like Matt Ryan uh, was one of them. Cam Newton was another one. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It's kind of a poison chalice in, in mm. some senses. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll see. Two more, two more game weeks left to go. Uh, three more game weeks left to go uh, until the Super Bowl, just a couple of weeks away. Um, so that's kind of a look at the betting and kind of our thoughts on the, the Super Bowl at this stage. But I, I, for a second time, I, I, is that all? Is that all from us? I think, uh, yeah, I think plenty more. <laughs> no, um, no, really enjoyed that. Was uh, was a good chat in there with uh, recapping all the games, chatting to Roger there to break it all down, and of course the full ten questions. Always a fun segment. But we'll be back on Friday for a look ahead to the divisional round games. You have the Colts and the Chiefs, the Chargers and the Patriots, the pa- um, the Packers, maybe not, uh, <laughs> the Saints and the Eagles, and of course the Dallas Cowboys travelling to LA. So we'll preview all that on Friday. Get the best bets as well from Adam. Had a decent weekend. Uh, Chicago Bears aside but that's going to do it for today's episode of the Full 10 Yards podcast thank you each and every one of you and all the 900 followers that we have on Twitter as well appreciate all your following uh, that's going to do it for today's podcast we're back in a couple of days so in the meantime it's goodbye from Lee yeah have a good week everyone uh, we'll see you in a couple of days with some more playoff action and it's goodbye from me too in the great words of Kevin Cadle it's bye bye for now bye bye
Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards or email the show full10yards at gmail.com.